This sermon, The Greatest Christmas Story Ever Told, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, December 11, 2022, at Sovereign Grace Church. Morning, everybody. Welcome guests. My name is Derek. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And I would love to invite you to open your Bible with me if you have one. If you don't, there should be a Bible in the chair in front of you to Romans, (laughs) to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12. I don't know how many of you have ever heard a Christmas sermon preached from the book of Revelation I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Revelation. I don't know if on Christmas Eve you read Revelation 12 instead of Twas the Night Before Christmas. Maybe you will after today. Maybe you won't. But there is a wonderful Christmas message for us in this book. If you were here last week, we we began our Christmas series that we've entitled Who Would Have Dreamed? We began at the beginning of time. We began at the beginning of our Bibles. And today we go to the end of our Bibles. And then the next three times we're together between now and Christmas, we will fill it all in, in between with the prophets and the gospels. Uh, And so I'm very excited about this series, even if just for that reason, the full counsel of God's Word. If you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, it's an interesting book to say the least. Uh, it is a book that is not only meant to be read, it is meant to be seen, if you will. It is filled with imagery, it is filled with symbolism. One of the most difficult things about reading the book of Revelation is knowing when to take something literal and when not to take something literal. Uh, but the book of Revelation if you understand how to read it, how to interpret it, uh, it is an amazing book. And if you've never studied the book of Revelation, I just want to encourage you, even as we begin, that this, this commentary by Dennis Johnson, uh, he is uh, a seminary professor at Westminster, uh, it is outstanding. It's called The Triumph of the Lamb, uh, and he does an outstanding job. And I love what D.A. Carson, one of my favorite theologians, says about his work in this book. He says, the strength of this work is the way it takes some of the best material on the interpretation of apocalyptic generally and revelation in particular and presents it in a palatable, readable form. Boy, if I'm studying revelation, I want something that's, that, that is characterized by those two words, uh, palatable and readable. He goes on to say, Johnson knows how to write And his text is infused, I love this, with a rare sanity, rare that is amongst those who write at a reasonably popular level on the book of Revelation, meaning there is a lot that has been written on the book of Revelation, even by some big names, and it is insane, (laughs) some of the stuff. Dennis Johnson does an outstanding job of helping us be faithful to the text. So would you stand And let's look at verses 1 through 18. We're going to read and get into this wonderful text. Revelation 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. 
And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now arose in heaven Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers, he has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore... Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. And then... The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we pray you would fill us freshly with your spirit, that we might hear the truth of your word and that it might, that it might bear fruit in our evangelism, in our sanctification, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you're wondering, is he going to explain all the imagery that's in this chapter 12? Answer, no, I'm not going to. Some of it you're going to have to figure out for yourself. But we will get to the substance and the meat of what is going on here. But first, I want, if you're wondering, why, why are we preaching this text at Christmas time? Well, if you think about it, Christmas is about what? Christmas, do you hear Christmas about joy, about peace, about hope? Who doesn't want hope, right? Why? Because the Savior has come. 
just as the prophets foretold, unto us, as we will learn next week, unto us a child is born. The hope of the world, Emmanuel, God with us. Who, who would have dreamed, who could have dreamed that God would come to us? But if that's true, and it is, as Christians we believe it, but if Christmas brings tidings of hope, joy, and peace, then here's a question for us all. Why is life so hard? If Christmas is what Christmas is, then why is life so difficult? Why is there still so much hostility, hatred, and hurt around the world? Why are Christians even in the freest country in the world, increasingly marginalized, ostracized, and demonized. Why in the church is there such a mix of truth and error, commitment and compromise, love and apathy? Revelation 12 answers the why by pulling back the curtain to reveal something bigger than we could ever have imagined going on than we could ever have seen. That's what John does in the book of Revelation. His, his visions reveal what's happening both on heaven both in heaven and how that is playing out on earth. In, in the, when you read the book of Revelation, you find yourself toggling back and forth between an earthly reality and a heavenly reality that is happening at the same time. And Revelation 12 gives us the entire story of the Bible and the history of the world through the lens of this cosmic conflict. That's what we see here in Revelation 12. And if you're looking for the big idea, if you want to know what is this all about, well, in one sense, it's the answer that Pastor Tim gave us at communion, Jesus. <laughs> in a broader, in a, in a more specific sense, the message this morning is this, Jesus' victory for us. Jesus' victory for us means we can live victoriously for him, even in the wilderness. Now, our text opens us up. Before we get into the points, our text introduces us to three main characters. Let's, let, let's look at them real quick. First, in verses 1 through 2, we meet a woman. Notice what it says. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant. And she was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Who is this woman? John's description here certainly presents her ultimately as a woman of great honor. John tells us that she is pregnant and that she is about to give birth to a son. So who is she? Is this Eve, the mother of all mothers? Does this woman represent God's Old Testament people, Israel? 
Is this woman Mary, the Messiah's mother? Is this woman the church? God's new covenant people? Us? Well, I think the answer to every one of those questions is yes. (laughs) And by that, what I mean is that this woman is symbolic of God's people from beginning to end, from the garden to the church. This woman represents the faith-filled community of God. It's us. Today, it's us. It's the church that goes after us. It's the church that went before us. It's, it's all of God's people in redemptive history. So that, that's, that's the woman. Then, then we're introduced to the dragon. Notice verse 3. It says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His, his tail swept down to the third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. This dragon is pretty easy to figure out. He is the serpent that we met in the garden last week. According to verses 9, and 12, 9 through 12 in our text here this morning, he is Satan himself. He is the devil. And his description in verse 3 reminds us that he is destructive. He is cunning. He is powerful. He is influential. All of which is demonstrated in verse 4 where we learn that the sweep of his tail removes a third of the stars from heaven. And then we have the boy. We have the woman, we have the dragon, and we have the boy. Notice verse 5. She gave birth to a male child. One who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That, that messianic reference there, it's from Psalm 2.9. He will rule with a rod of iron. Makes it clear. I think the story makes it pretty clear. But that messianic reference from the Psalms makes it clear that, that this boy is Jesus. So there's your cast of characters. There's three of them. There's the woman, the dragon, and the boy. Now let's dig into the plot. Scene one, we have a defeated dragon. We can't understand Revelation 12 apart from our text last week in Genesis 3. So before we jump into what happens with this dragon, let's just remind you where we went last week. This dragon, or as he is referred to in verse 9, the ancient serpent pointing us back to the garden Genesis 3, where he deceived Adam and Eve, and remember in that moment, humanity plunged into sin. We saw God immediately judge Adam and Eve, but he also judged Satan himself. And in judging Satan, in essence, God preached the gospel to him. Remember that? Chapter 3, verse 15, he said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Ultimately, Christ would destroy Satan. We talked about that last week. Go back, if if you've already forgotten it like it's easy to do, go back and listen to last week's sermon. 
But fast forward to Revelation 12. Ever since that moment in the garden, Genesis 3.15, the serpent, the dragon, has been waiting for his moment, for his moment to keep Genesis 3.15 from happening. And at the first Christmas, he thinks it's his chance. Now, notice what it says again in chapter, or I'm sorry, in verse 4. It says, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. The imagery is intimidating, isn't it? Here is the Virgin Mary in a stable giving birth to Jesus just as the prophets foretold. And while I'm willing to bet if I was a betting man that your nativity scene at home doesn't have a dragon in it, maybe it will next year, I don't know. He was there. He was there, ready to devour it. He was lurking in the shadows, waiting to strike and put an end to Genesis 3.15. But guess what? He fails. Because look what it says in verse 5. She gave birth to a male child. One is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And boy, listen, here's the word but. Don't we love it in the Bible? But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Christmas deals the first blow to the dragon. He was there to devour that child, the one who he was told long ago would crush his head. But he fails. The Messiah is born. The one who would rule the nations with the rod of iron has come. And instead of being devoured by the dragon, he is exalted to the heavens with God, where he has seated in the place of all power, in the place of all authority, in the place of all dominion, in the place of cosmic ruling and reigning far out of the reach of this dragon. And this is why Christmas, this is why Christmas is so central to redemptive history. It is the beginning of the destruction of the dragon. Christmas is the inauguration of God undoing what happened in the garden and making all things new, making all things right. Christmas is the cosmic demonstration, if you will, of God's sovereign power and his unfailing faithfulness. And Satan thought that he could thwart it, but he couldn't. The baby's born. A child is born. The angels declare to the shepherds, 
Today, a child is born, and he will save sinners from their sin. And this mighty dragon, the one whose tail could sweep a third of the stars from the sky, he was powerless to stop it. And guess what? His failure moved him to rage at the Messiah's mother. You, you, you ever failed at something? Normally for me, it's when I'm working on my car. <laughs> you fail at something, and, and, and it's easy to get angry, isn't it? The dragon failed. And he goes into a rage. The dragon is mad. He, he's been defeated. He knows it. He's furious about it. And so he takes it out on the woman. This is the implication. This is why, did you notice in verse 6, she has to flee. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she was to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now listen, we're going to unpack the dragon's pursuit of the woman in verse 13 through 17. But first, did you notice the terse nature of verse 5? The son was born and then ascended to God, right? Now, there are some pretty important details that are missing there, isn't there? There's some pretty critical details that are missing between this boy's birth and his ascending to the right hand of God. And so that's what the next scene does. In verses 13 through 17, we're going to understand why this woman had to flee to the wilderness. But in verses 7 through 12, what we see is what happened we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna zoom in, if you will. We're going to move away from the big picture of one through six and zoom in to see what happened between the birth and the ascension. And that's our second scene. We, scene one is, is a defeated dragon. The, the dragon is defeated. He fails to stop God's plan. Scene two, we find a victorious boy. Notice verse seven. It says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. This is the heavenly perspective of the dragon's defeat. And the scene in heaven opens with Michael. Just think of Michael. He's the, he, he, just think of him as the five-star general of God's angelic army. We find him warring against the dragon. He's defeated, but ultimately he's not defeated by Michael. Ultimately he's not defeated by Michael's great army. We learn how ultimately this dragon is defeated in the critical and exciting details that fill out what happened in between the baby's birth and ascension in verse 5. And that begins in verse 10. Notice what it says. And I heard, I hear is John, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers, that is the dragon, Satan, the serpent, has been thrown down, 
who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. The dragon is ultimately defeated by the boy. Did you catch that in verse 11? In Revelation, the the boy is the lamb. He is the lamb of God that was slain. He is Jesus, the Christ, the one, the only one who is worthy to break the seal and open the heavenly scrolls that will reveal God's plan of redemption. His blood shed on the cross. This is how he is defeated and conquered ultimately. His blood shed on the cross covers the sinner's sin. His blood purchases the sinner away from the dragon, whom, by the way, we once all once belonged to, Ephesians 2. He is the prince of the power of the air. We were slaves to this dragon. He was, in a sense, our father like the rest of mankind. Last week, we, we said the cross disarms Satan of one sure weapon against us. You remember what that one sure weapon was? It was his ability to accuse us before the throne of God. To accuse us before God, to convince God that we are guilty sinners that deserve to perish along with him, that deserve to be thrown into the lake of fire with him. And as we said last week, guess what? He's right in one sense. Passages like Romans 3 and 5, Ephesians 2 and Titus 3 and more, they teach us that at one time, listen, listen, at one time we were all little dragons. We were all little dragons waging war against God with our lives. Furious. We talked like a dragon. I acted like a dragon. I thought and felt like a dragon. We were all Little dragons at war with Christ in our hearts. So the dragon, did you notice the word used in verse 10? The dragon who had been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. The dragon, our great accuser, could stand before God with integrity and say, Derek doesn't love you. He's a little dragon. He's just, he's just like me. He's just a little dragon. Tom doesn't deserve your, you. He deserves what I deserve, to have his head crushed. 
Tim doesn't measure up to your glory. And all those folks gathering on Sunday morning, they're bitter, they're envious, they're lazy, they're arrogant. And and he would be right. Here's what I love. God doesn't say, I'm not ready to give up on them. (laughs) He does not say they just need more time. He doesn't say, I know they have it in them. No, he went to war, and something much different happened on the battlefield. Verse 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. The manger gave way to the cross, and at the cross, the dragon was decisively defeated because Christ's death and resurrection nullifies Satan's accusations because in a crucified and risen Savior, we are what? We are justified before the throne of God. We are made right because the blood of Jesus covers us. The blood of this boy covers us covers our sins, washes them away, not because of anything that I can do, not because of anything that you have done, but solely on the basis of God's plan to create a people for himself. And when this substitutionary sacrifice is our faith-filled testimony, guess what? Scripture says that we are saved. We, We shed the dragon clothing, if you will. we begin to take on the image of the little boy, Christ our Savior. I love what G.K. Bill says about this text, about this verse. He says, the death and resurrection of Christ have banished the devil from this privilege. That is the privilege to accuse us. Formally granted him by God. Pay attention to that. The dragon does nothing save that God allows him to do. Because why? Why is this privilege gone? Because Christ's death was the penalty that God executed for the sins of all those who were saved by faith. No wrath for me in Christ Jesus, only love and grace and an eternity of ruling and reigning with this boy who became a man and whose blood was slain so that in heaven he would now be the lamb that was slain. This is the, you know, no wonder verse 12 breaks out, right? Rejoice! (laughs) Oh, heavens, and you who dwell in them, Merry Christmas! There's no gift under your tree. I don't care what you ask for. I don't care what your family or friends get you. There's no gift under your tree that will be more satisfying than the eternal salvation that you have in Jesus Christ. It's never felt so good to be covered in blood as it is to be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ that removes Satan's ability to accuse me before the throne of God. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. 
a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lived and bled for me. If you're keeping score, the dragon is down 0-2. Now let's look at the protected woman. The final scene in this cosmic conflict that is a portrait of redemptive history picks up where verse 6 and 12 left off and again fills it out for us. Remember verse 6, we left off. This woman, Satan, fails at devouring the child and he is furious. He turns his wrath on the woman. We know that because she had to flee the dragon to a place of refuge in God. And then in verse 12, the dragon, notice what it says, O earth and sea, by the way, rejoice heavens, rejoice those who are covered in the blood of the lamb. But, but did you notice the second part of verse 12? But woe to you, O earth and sea, for Satan is your domain. And it says, O earth and sea, for the devil, verse 12, has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And so now we come to verse 13. And now it fills out what is going on in the wilderness. Notice what it says at verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of, great, of, the, of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she, she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half time. By the way, that's just another way of saying 1,260 days. That language is in the book of Daniel, and it's a reminder that we're talking about the same thing here. We haven't moved on to something different. It's just a different perspective. Verse 15, it says, The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And so we get to verse 13, and here's what we know. The dragon knows that the son has victoriously inaugurated the kingdom of God. He, he knows his time is short. He was he failed at devouring the baby. And that baby would grow up and become a sacrifice for sinners like you and I. And he would be risen from the grave in three days. And then in 40 days, he would ascend to the right hand of God. Satan knows what's going on. And so he knows his time is short and he is furious about his failure. He is desperate. And so verse 13 he pursues. You could translate that word, he persecutes the woman to destroy her. Now keep in mind, and in the case of verse 17, which could be confusing, her offspring, the woman and her offspring, don't look at those as two different things. That is the church. They are symbolic for the church. And so what you have in, these, in this final scene is the dragon furiously raging war 
on God's people, ultimately to no avail, but nonetheless. How? Well, according to the symbolism in verse 15, he does the same thing he pursued even Eve and Adam in the garden with lies and deception. In the book of Revelation, when things are coming out of the mouth, that, that, that's words, that, that, that is truth. Satan is flooding, Satan is flooding the church. He is trying to drown this woman with lies and deceptions and demonic influences. This is how he operates. He doesn't make you do anything. <laughs> he floods your heart and your mind with deception. He twists truth into lies. This is why the church, both individually and corporally, must be a pillar of truth. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, the devil is not afraid of a dust-covered Bible. <laughs> Leave it up to Spurgeon. He's not. And oh, and, and, and especially in this day and age, how we must be a people, individual disciples, corporately as a local church, and as the Big C Church Universal, we must know the truth of God's word. We must stand on the truth of God's word because then our testimony of faith, our testimony of truth, as we will see, is how we live victoriously, even as Satan rages against God's church. And so finally, finally, we've, we've come to the answer of our opening question. Why? <laughs> Why, even with Christmas that brings joy, peace, and hope, is life such a struggle? Why is there so much suffering and sorrow? I believe that Revelation 12 teaches us it's because we're living in the day of dragon rage. You've heard of road rage. This is dragon rage. This is dragon rage, the church age, our age, the age between Christ's first advent and his second advent is the age of dragon rage. The wilderness that this woman flees to, it represents life in a fallen world. See, we live in the now, but not yet. Satan has been defeated. We see that clearly. Victory is sure. Christ, or Christians don't fight the good fight for victory. We fight the good fight out of victory. It's not our victory. It's the victory of this boy. It's the victory of Jesus Christ. And so because we, we are victorious in Christ, then there's a sense in which we have a taste of heaven here, but heaven is not yet here, and so the dragon still rages on with his lies and his deception, and he rages furiously, desperately. He knows his time is short. He knows that he has lost, and so he has one mission, to destroy God's people if it would be possible. And this is why life in the wilderness is summarized in the woe of verse 12. O earth and sea, 
For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. But God is protecting his church in the wilderness like the Israelites, like David, like Jesus. In the desert with Satan, God is nourishing his church. God is protecting his church. Satan has been defeated, and he can only go as far as the Lord allows. God has made a promise that he would send his son back. We heard about this morning already. As you see him go, you will see him return. This book ends thrice in the final chapter. Behold, I am coming soon, Jesus says. Three times. What's the point? He wants us to get that. I have won. Life in the wilderness is difficult. Yes, the dragon still rages, but I have won, and I haven't forgotten about you. It might feel like it some days. You might turn on the news and think that things are spinning out of control, but the dragon has been defeated, and I am coming back, and until that day, I will nourish you. I will protect you. You are the bride of my son, and I will see you to the end. Philippians 1, the good work that he has began, whether you want to interpret that as, as, as a plurality of the entire church or individual salvation, you should do it in both ways. The promise is he will finish what he has begun. So until then, with that promise, knowing that the cosmic conflict, and by the way, don't, don't hear that term and think, wow, what would have happened if God would have lost? No, that's not <laughs> This was planned. And when we can't figure out why it was planned this way, we can rest in this for the glory of God's name. So until we get to the, we're in the now but not yet. And, and so until we get to the not yet, and knowing that life in the wilderness is difficult, and knowing that there is dragon rage. How do we live victoriously in the wilderness? Well, the text tells us, and I want to close by giving you, pointing out to you how it tells us. Go back to verse 11. And this is our application this morning. The first thing, first way we live victorious out of Christ's victory is that you preach the gospel to yourself daily. Notice verse 11. And they have conquered him. It's you, me, church. We live victoriously over Satan by the blood of the Lamb. We live victoriously over Satan when we cling to Christ. Living by the blood of the Lamb means we stand in the grace 
of the gospel. It means that we process every aspect of life, the, the good and the bad days. The good hair days, as Jerry Bridges used to say, and the bad hair days. We interpret it all through the lens of our identity in Jesus Christ. When Satan tempts you to despair, remember, that's what he does. He still does it. His argument just falls silent before the throne of God. But when he does, do you really think God could love you, Derek? Did you commit that sin again, Sharon? Rick, can't you see how often you disappoint your father in heaven? Tom, you're a fraud. And God knows it because he sees all things. So who are you trying to fool? It's called condemnation. And in those moments of condemnation, we cling to truth. Our only hope and righteousness is the victorious Son of God who lived and died for our holiness and our salvation. I love, I love, I love, I love Charles Spurgeon's counsel. He says, I know what the devil will say to you. He will say to you, you are a sinner. Well, tell him you know you are. <laughs> but, but that for all that you are justified, but that for all that you are justified. He will tell you of the greatness of your sin. Tell him of the greatness of Christ's righteousness. He will tell you of all your mishaps and your backslidings, of your offenses and your wonderings. Tell him this. And tell your own conscience that you know all of that, that Christ came to save, but that Christ came to save sinners, and that although your sin be great, Christ is quite able to put it all away. You want to conquer the dragon daily. You preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself daily. That's what it means to conquer him by the blood of the Lamb. Second, we tell others about Jesus. Living victoriously in the wilderness, we do that by telling others about our hope. Notice, notice verse 11 again in B. He says, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. So, so we personally cling to gospel truth. We preach Christ to ourselves every day. It is the word of our testimony, but we also carry that testimony to the lost world around us, to those who are still living enslaved to the dragon, to the ones who are still living like little dragons. We take the blood of the lamb to them in word and deed. And remember this, that the dragon wants us to be silent. <laughs> he, he knows he only has a little bit of time. <laughs> and he wants the least amount <laughs> of pushback as possible. 
He wants us to be silent because our silence is, in a sense, his temporary victory. He can feel like a winner. But every time we speak out the name of Jesus, every time we declare our victorious Savior, every time we tell somebody Satan has no sway over you in Christ, well, in a sense, we defeat him every time we speak out against Jesus. I love what Spurgeon, again, can't quote Spurgeon enough. The preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. You want to flog the devil? You want to flog the dragon? Preach Christ. The preaching of Christ is the thunderbolt, the sound of which makes all hell shake. Listen, if you're here this morning, no, no, that this boy born on Christmas morning is more powerful than the dragon that you're currently living for. And whatever sin you have brought into this room this morning, it is not greater than mercy, the mercy of Jesus Christ. It is not stronger. It is not more powerful. It is not greater. And Scripture teaches us plainly and clearly that we cannot save ourselves but God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear, the bur- to bear the burden of your sins, to take the punishment for your sins. And that it is by faith that we receive that work. It is by faith in which we receive the forgiveness that the blood of the lamb brings and the righteousness that Jesus provides. You don't have to do something. You don't have to be somebody. You merely bow your heart before the God in heaven and come before him in the name of Jesus, which means I come to you in the person and work of Christ and Christ alone. And then we have, we have something just for you. We got this thing called the bridge course. <laughs> Maybe you will leave here this morning confused, still not sure. Boy, there, there are people meeting in homes during the week that are talking about things like this, that are talking about evil and God and why, why suffering and why is life so hard? And nobody's judging you. They're there to help you understand. They're there to help you answer your questions. They're there to give testimony of their faith. So Come. See this guy right here in the red shirt. Where's Paul McKenna? Okay, well, don't look for him today. See this guy right here. He'll point you to a bridge course. Listen, that, if you're here this morning, you don't know, that's your next stop at Sovereign Grace. Go find a bridge course. Come back next Sunday, please. Go find a bridge course. Finally, we see we're called living victoriously is persevering to the end. Notice the end of verse 11, for they love not their lives unto death. Listen, most of us, if not all of us, will never be called to go someplace where we will have to face death for our faith. But if you are a Christian, this boy himself, Jesus himself, said to his disciples, if you want to be a disciple, you must pick up your cross daily. That's not a to-do. What he's saying is, 
This is, this is how my disciples live. They die to self daily. We live in the victory of Jesus when in a fallen world in the midst of the wilderness to the defiance of the dragon when we die to self to live for our Savior. Honesty instead of deceit. Love instead of hate. Purity instead of compromise. Patience instead of anger. And the list goes on and on. It's called perseverance. It's called sanctification. Is it hard? Yes. Between the raging dragon and our own sin. Yes, it's very hard. But God is more powerful. His spirit empowers his people and protects them every step of the way. To live not for victory, but out of victory that this boy has given us over the dragon. Turn quickly to Revelation 20. Verse 10. If you're wondering what what happens to the dragon. (laughs) Verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast of the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The dragon knows his time is short. Now look at 21. Don't know what's going to happen to the church? Here you go. Verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Oh, what a sight this will be, church. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, Emmanuel, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall, be, shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Listen, we live in the now and this, is the not yet. But it won't always be the not yet. Regardless of your circumstances this Christmas, listen, this is what makes your Christmas merry. Who would have dreamed that, that this story by faith in Jesus would be your story?